green flare lit up the night, soon resolving into the Green Lantern himself, heading toward us like an emerald comet. Alan Scott was amenable, but busy. He said he'd love to stay and chat, but had to see a woman about a horse. Of course, we tailed him. Without an archenemy, what manner of equestrian danger could this superhero have? Hi, I'm John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Alright, today we are getting back to Green Lantern. We're going to try a little bit of a new format, just to kind of feel this out. We've heard some uh, constructive criticism from a lot of listeners that, like the podcast, like the content that we provide, just would prefer it a little bit shorter because the longer it gets, the harder it is to kind of focus. We understand it's like being in a college lecture. We get it. Don't worry about it. We're listening. So, here's how this is going to work. I have a self-imposed time limit. 15 minutes for summary. I'm saluting right now. Vanna, start the clock. Um, or who, who, who's a game show person who ran clocks? Vanna, Vanna turned letters. Yeah, I don't know who would be in clock management, actually. Should we make one up? Should we make up a timekeeper? Joanna? Joanna? Okay, Joanna. Joanna, start the clock, please. Um, Alright, here we go. Green Lantern number one, fall 1941. Kind of a couple of important things in this issue. Not terribly too much plot that's important, but really what it comes down to is Green Lantern number one, of course, it's the number one issue. They're going to rehash his origin story a little bit. Um, that's pretty much all it is. It's the green flame of life in the Lantern. Uh, they they bang you over the head with willpower a lot. And uh, he does it to avenge the train victims. Good thing, but really, if that's your motivation, he kind of does that in the first storyline, and then what's he supposed to do with his life? We get a couple of stories here that are kind of pointless other than um, kind of the last couple here, but it's, you know, Irene inherits uh, a family fortune and gets a horse, and these guys try to basically take the horse from her, and it's some really weird, like, horse maiming plots by these guys, because it's a racehorse, and GL basically stops them from doing that. They retconned a horse into Irene's life. Yeah, it's really, like, apparently Irene's really into equestrian stuff. Um, We get a weird... Aside by William Moulton Marsden, ding, 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 mm-hmm. for those of you who remember Wonder Woman, this is the guy who writes Wonder Woman, um, who just does like a weird child's report on willpower. Spelled will power. Will hyphen power. No, um, no hyphen space. Oh yeah, will space Even power. Weirder. So Even yeah, weirder. it's just, it's a weird like psychological propaganda. Not sure what that was about, but I think at this time, according to the Jill Lepore book, Marsden was a consultant for the company. The next few stories are he stops, um, like, a pneumonia serum racket in the town. Like, people are basically hoarding pneumonia serum because they're evil. Like, why... Uh, serum. Serum, yes. By the way, like, that just... Like, it's, like it's some form of magical substance. It's a, exactly. it's a vaccine, for crying out loud. Uh, they've had vaccines at this point in, in the world. It's 1941. It's like how they refer to atomic power instead right. of... Medicine serum. It's just a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, Green Lantern stops an arson racket, which is weird because they start to establish the theme, the theme that he likes to record people confessing. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a thing about that. Remember how Island Scott was a radio engineer? Here's a dictaphone. And you're like, that's the two aren't necessarily related. They're For just... the record, I don't even know what a dictaphone is. Right. It's a very early microphone, I, I imagine. Uh, we get a weird short story of Hop Harrigan. 
That's um, right, yeah. Which is just another DC <laughs> character who is, I guess, an aviation hero, and it's a short story kind of like Schuster and Siegel do in the Superman volumes, right. where it's just like, it's Superman doing a thing, and you're like, this is just could have been a really crappy issue, but you decided to make a short story out of it. It's Hop Harrigan and Doiby Dickles teaming up with Green Lantern for no reason. Basically, it ends up that like Hop Harrigan thinks his friend has been kidnapped by rough characters when really he's just been taken to a very exclusive sports spa. But actively like abducted for yeah, it. They it's send weird. people out to find him. It's really weird and doesn't make any sense. Um, hey, we wrote ourselves into a corner. How do we make this turn up on a punchline? Right. Um, lots more Latin racism in this last story. Uh, yeah. Green Lantern and Doiby foil a Nazi plot to sow rebellion in the South American country. That's pretty much it. Um, that's kind of, however, important because it's the first instance that we get of Nazis, or at least hints of foreign powers that are vaguely German, that start showing up in Green Lantern issues. Um, that's kind of the most important thing to come out of Green Lantern number one. Uh, All-American, number 31, October 1941. Green Lantern helps underfed orphans. Does this sound familiar? Uh, Superman already did this. And Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman. Like, uh, there is definitely some recycling of plots. Yeah, I, one of my notes is, didn't we see Superman do this? And my shorthand for Superman is just the S. <laughs> um, Isn't this where we came in? Yeah, there's also a, a moment where he loses his ring to the bad guys, and that's like no big deal because he just gets it off the table because the bad guys leave it on the table, like the room that he's in on fire. And he's like, oh, mustn't forget this. I'm like, you morons, you don't take it? <laughs> like, it's like leaving a lightsaber in front of Luke and being like, nope, fuck you and see you later. It's like, he's going to get it again. Ugh, people. Um, All-American number 32, November 1941. Green Lantern helps another young man who was framed take down some gangsters. He likes to do that. Uh, All-American number 33, December 1941. A cab union sort of story about the unions getting squeezed by gangsters and trying to uh, strike for better wages. It's almost similar to the Cabby Protection League from Superman. I was going to ask if the Ultra-Humanite showed up. I, it was God. It was ripe for ultra humanite, but really, it does it just it doesn't? Did you intentionally rhyme that? No, I didn't. Thank you. <laughs> I was a poet, and I didn't even know it. Um, you're welcome for that one too. That no, like, I knew that one. Good. You don't get points. <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> Retract my ding. Um, we don't have poet, we don't have poetry dings. Joanna, to keep the clock running. Uh, All American number thirty four, January nineteen forty two. Happy New Year. Uh, subpar building material scam. Like these guys are building. That sure sounds familiar as well. Yeah, right. These guys are building buildings with building buildings, constructing buildings. I, I building write, construction. I went to college for writing. They construct <laughs> buildings with subpar materials, and there's a big. Uh, what I found important about this story is Green Lantern does the most difficult thing he's ever done in the story. He even says it's the most difficult thing he's ever done. It's hold up the bridge from falling down. It's like th- it's several panels of him staring at a bridge, Dragon Ball Z style, holding this bridge up. And he says, that was the toughest thing I've ever done. And I'm like, I hey, honestly man. thought you were going to say, ask Irene now. No, because um, they, they do that a lot. That's uh, true. Yeah. And also the most horribly drawn woman I've ever seen. If you look at oh, my... Oh, I saw the... Yeah, the if you saw my tweets. If yeah, you look yeah, at yeah. my tweets, there's a, a very good Steve Buscemi in drag picture of a woman that's just... My, that was a, um, a huh. comment my friend made. He's like, is that Steve Buscemi? And I'm like... it. Very well could be, just like that scene from where he's like in the, the child's attire and he goes like, what up my fellow children? From that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looks like that. Mm-hmm. Um, All-American number 35, February 1942. Green Lantern and Doiby stop construction racketeers from hurting union men. A lot good. of a lot of union things. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, most important thing. All-American number 35, February 1942. 
the Doibee figures out Alan Scott is the Green Lantern. So now, Doibee's in on the secret. This is the only other hero, aside from the Sandman, who has his identity known to his sidekick. And Irene doesn't know. And Irene doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So, it's his legit sidekick. Unlike the Sandman, who has the lady in evening clothing, who is his sidekick, and also his girlfriend, knows. So she can cover for him. Doibee now can cover for Alan. Kind of cool. Green Lantern number two, winter, 1942. Here's where we get a little bit interesting things here. The Green Lantern issues at this point now become four-part stories. Long-form volumes. These are long. These are longer than the issues we get now that are 24 pages of a one of a story. So these are big. These are almost graphic novels, if not graphic novels at this point. They fill a magazine. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. So uh, remember, the, the issues for the heroes, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, up until this point were four stories in one magazine. Anthologies. Yeah, they were collections. This is now four stories that are all the single arc. This is almost like the volumes you get now as trades. It's missing two stories. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. So it's really interesting that this is kind of like the first sort of format that that we've seen of DC making the move towards the volume collection of stories. It must have just hit people like a brick. Oh yeah, comparatively, out. it's it because mm-hmm. they are all connected. It's not like there's clean breaks. It's like what will happen next? Turn the page next, and now, and <laughs> I you're love like, how they assume that no one do you do that? Pages at Why that do you time? do that? It doesn't help yeah. anyone. It's who is that for? <laughs> so, uh, I've summarized this as one thing. Um, Alan is promoted to a broadcaster. He does the Man on the Street broadcast because he covers for a guy who gets sick and faints on the air and he, like, jumps in at the last minute to finish his advertisement. And the guy says, you know, thank you for doing that so much. You know, um, go to the, the producer and the producer's like, that was a really great job. Thank you, Alan. You saved the company. By the way, your voice is really good. How would you like to be up to, as the Man on the Street interviews? And he's like, sure, that'd be swell. He right? really is turning more and more into Clark Kent. Right. Um, and Irene is now ceremoniously, unceremoniously demoted. Um, she's referred to now forever as a secretary when we've clearly seen Irene do interviews and do things and hustle down stories. It's never explained. She's not demoted. It's just they now start to refer to her as a secretary, which is really strange. It's a very weird story choice. It doesn't do anything for her character. It's not like being the reporter did anything for her as it was. I know Joanne stopped looking at me like that. Uh, Green Lantern, as the story unfolds, helps a wrongfully accused man um, and a down-on-his-luck lawyer basically take down a crooked loan company. And the man who is wrongly accused is a guy who has basically been willed the company by his former boss. And he was just the guy that the boss liked to fish with and they end up being friends and he likes him a lot. He says he's an honest worker and he gives it to him. The down-on-his-luck lawyer just isn't getting contracts, and he wants he's thinking of becoming an ambulance chaser, and Alan meets him during his man-on-the-street interviews. He decides that he's like, oh, I'm going to put you guys together, and this is going to be a great story. We're going to come back to this because of some really bad Italian-American stuff um, mm. that I want to go back to later. I know, Joanne, stop looking at me like that. Um, also, the back... you still got, like, three minutes. <laughs> I've got more to do. <laughs> um, I haven't even gotten to Sargasso. Oh, um, God. Oh, God. Uh, also, the bad guy in this story, his name is Baldy. <laughs> That's the sinister name they yeah. came up with. And it's a dude yeah. in a bald skull cap. It's not even a bald man. Because they even had this whole storyline of Alan meeting different bald men and thinking if they're baldy. And it's really, it's a dude with hair with a bald cap. I just, I couldn't. 
Um, we're going to move on from Green Lantern number two. All-American number 36, March 1942, Green Lantern and Doiby uncover a murder at the racetrack. And it's a, it's now a car, it's not horses. All right. Um, a guy is developing a new type of engine. People don't want that to happen. Basically, Nazis poison the drivers. They poison their gloves. So they die while they're driving, which is a very interesting way of doing it. Like, they perspire through their hands because the gloves make their hands warm, and then they absorb the poison. It's actually kind of actually well done. Um, and Doiby gets... Yeah, blah 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 and he gets he's driving the car he gets poisoned Alan figures it out Alan kills the bad guy one ding here we go Alan's on the board for the first time in this episode it only took several issues um, but yeah body count one he kills the saboteur like out and out kills the dude in the ra- in like they're racing each other in cars and he doesn't like use his ring he kills him as Alan Scott which is really whoa and nobody sees it because they like drive away from their track but it's kind of a weird moment that Alan Scott kills a dude not Green Lantern all-American, number 37, April 1942. An evil scientist, Caspar, or Casper, it's C-A-S-P-A-R. This is probably the first real supervillain in Green Lantern, Green Lantern Encounters. Um, captures a bunch of scientists and uses their combined talents to create sonic guns. Like, sound guns that can, like, cut through metal. And it's a very interesting story. And I was like, that's a legit bad guy for him. It's a, it's a super scientist bad guy. That's a 1940s supervillain. Mm. You and I are having a discussion that he doesn't really have any... He did until that point. And he frankly, he's I, not to my knowledge, does Green Lantern now have any major villains? Um, Alan Scott, particularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All-American number 38, May 1942. Remember in, uh, God, our first episode with the uh, dirigible of Doom? That was either the first or second, yeah. I, I think, don't know which. Um, that's our first episode with the, the, the Napoleon Complex dude. We get a dude who actually is named Napoleon with a Napoleon Complex who becomes a gangster and uses Napoleonic tactics to take over a town called Waterloo. And, uh... Well, he, I mean, they, they did <clears throat> think of, uh, as of Napoleon as a predecessor of Hitler. Right. At least in Britain they thought that. And Alan, it's revealed, Alan's middle name is Wellington. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, history buffs, you'll get that joke. Um, but God yeah. Damn it. Um, he's, he actually kills this guy and he also Gimli's this guy's crew because they like uh, commandeer the city's armory and it turn it into like a castle and there's cannons and shit. It's really weird the stretching that Bill Finger does to make this a really strange siege. Situation. There's some more coup 101, by the way. Green Lantern basically turns the entire town against the corrupt system and like goes to all the locations you would normally do and be like, let's fight, and writes fight in the sky with his ring. I was like, that's very, oh, yeah. Vox, that's very Vox Machina of you. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. Right, so we're going to put Alan up for two on the board for killing Napoleon um, and uh, his crew for Gimliing that one. So he's up to three at this point. Oh, okay, this is the this is the good one. I'm gonna hide a number from you because I want you to guess how many people he kills in this issue. This is Green Lantern number three, spring 1942. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Irene, and Doiby um, essentially get Gilliganed with a bunch of people, uh, so high society types. Three hour tour. Right, uh, to this weird um, flotilla of ships from out of different time periods. Essentially, Alan and Irene are being sent to Australia to help open up the Apex Broadcasting Station down there to help with the war front. Doiby wants to come along, can't. He stays away on the ship. He's on the ship with them. They get attacked by Nazis, specifically, like, Nazi planes. The ship is starting to go down. They all get on a lifeboat. They go to this weird storm location, which ends up being a fog bank covering this weird flotilla of 
this harmonious group of people from Romans to Egyptians to people from like that same century, almost Titanic era, and they're all living together. They're the descendants of the original people who are on these ships. They're not those people. They're not immortal. Um, but this patriarch guy is kind of keeping them together, and they're just a nice, harmonious bunch. And, of course, the high society types hate this because, blah, 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 I want my money, I want my riches, I'm supposed to marry somebody. And Alan and Irene and Doiby are kind of like, yeah, screw it, whatever, this is our life now. And I was like, well, okay. They're there for days. Like, it's like, they're there for a while. Um, the Nazis find this place eventually and say, oh, we're claiming this in the, in the name of the Fuhrer. Um, we're also going to send out a radio broadcast to let everybody know that we now have this weird location that we can launch ships from. Obviously, this weird sort of, like, Peter Jackson-y awesome fight happens for an entire issue of, like, all these people fighting off the Nazis, and it's just awesome because it's, like, Romans punching Nazis, and Egyptians punching Nazis, and pirates punching Nazis, and Doiby's in a suit of armor, and Irene is super cool, <laughs> and everybody thought Green Lantern was a traitor at first, and then he comes around and he blows up a bunch of... And you're like, this is cool! This is, like, a legit awesome comic, and you're... It's very of the time. It's very much of this time period of, like, weird swashbuckly stuff. Um, yeah, I have in my notes, fucking sweet-ass Peter Jackson fight happens. That's the straight-up line that I wrote. And nice. I can't explain that any other way. Um, and Alan and Irene have their first Alan and Irene kiss. Alright. Um, Good on you, Which kids. is cool. Good for them. They're really cute. There's even a scene in a couple issues back where the way goes, ah, young love, when they're arguing about whether or not Irene can come with him. And she's like, the hell you aren't keeping me from this thing. Like, Irene does a lot of really cool moments where she's like, I want to help out with this law firm thing that you've created to help out this guy in need. And he's like, you shouldn't have dangerous. She's like, well, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm like, Irene's cool. Irene has agency. She does things that she wants to do. She doesn't get in trouble very often, actually, anymore. She does things. Irene's a cool character. Very much like, I think it's, we, I say Deanne because there's no E at the end, but it's Diane, the lady in the evening clothing. She's very much a yeah. similar active character. Um... I want you to guess how many people Alan kills. Uh, that I Gimli three. That I Gimli. Oh. 18. Ooh. He goes up to 21 in this issue alone. He kills like six planes. <laughs> Throws dudes out of their planes. Blows up boats. He incinerates three dudes with his ring once he gets his ring back. Like straight up like incinerate. And I'm like, whoa, okay. You were like kind of <laughs> dancing around that before, but you straight up murdered those dudes. All right, cool. So... Um, I'm done. That's it. That's all of it. Uh, also, that uh, flotilla was called Sargasso. I recognize the name, but I don't know what it is. Well, I recognize the name from the Wide Sargasso Sea, which is a short story, I believe, or a book. No, it's a book. It's a novel I read in high school. It's not a very upbeat novel. Like, this is also, like, what Sargasso looks like. It's really cool. Like, the flotilla is really neat. It's, like, there's this... Uh, it's basically a bunch of ships around, like, a kelp bed that mm. keeps the ships there. And it's cool. Like, there's very much different styles of clothing. Like, I want to give props to the artist for, like, really doing some variety of people, shapes of things, styles, art. You know, like, they've just a kraken, which is really just a big octopus at this point. Mm. Um, it's also actually didn't... kind of interesting that the kraken is portrayed as an octopus instead of as a giant squid. Right. Um, I also didn't count the kraken in his kills because the kraken is actually malevolent and tries to kill some people, as opposed to it being like a creature that is sentient that he just harms, like dogs or something like that, that Superman mm -hmm. has kind of like done crap to in a weird way. 
Like, there was the one time that yeah. Superman threw a dog, dog into, into quicksand. Yeah, into quicksand. So I'm like, oh, sharks that like are just yeah, being sharks. Like they're just sharks that happen to like we're sharks. What's going on? You know, like <laughs> this is what we do. Hey yeah. guys, what's going on in this comic? Yeah, what's going on in this part of the ocean? Um, so that's kind of why I didn't really do anything with the squid because it's also like trying mm. to eat people. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. all right, at that point you're a yeah. monster and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so. We're going to go back to the Italian-American thing. Yes, Joanne. I know. We're done. We're not doing summary. Thank you. You, you know there's no Joanne, right? Oh, not in my head there isn't. <laughs> uh, she's there now. She's there keeping keep time and staring at me very crossly. I'm just imagining Joanne in your head. No. You in the middle of the night with jo- the voice of Joanne just badgering you in your head. And you're just going... I know familiar faces. <laughs> These summaries better be short. Um, <laughs> boy, but I'm I'm impressed by how quickly I got that. That was really that impressive. Was, I tried. I really that tried. was a volume and a half. If anyone can follow that, and if everyone was okay with that, we're gonna do two volumes like that for our next character. So that's kind of the plan is how we're gonna start handling these things because just to make them a little bit easier to digest because we're gonna as I was saying to Matt we're gonna start getting to the point where like the plot line is Lex Luthor steals like 40 cakes no we have to cover that issue right in excruciating right but like we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to that point where for it we're gonna get to the point where everything is racketeering and unions and Nazis and it's just boring yep. you know like we don't want to just be covering this for you and it's just another Superman stops racketeers Batman stops blah 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 another Joker issue it's just it's gonna get redundant we understand we're gonna try to keep moving and um, that is a sad Doiby Doiby has a toothache in this volume oh that he never gets taken care yeah. of until he, some dude knocks it out of his mouth during a fight and I was like that's very convenient Doiby you freaking mug um, but oh God, just the art dissonance in some of these oh, issues. Oh God! Well, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, what is yeah. happening, Nadell? I really gotta say, like for rank incompetence, Mar- Marty Nadell, man, like you're a good artist. Sometimes there's some great panels, some great shots, some great art in here, and then there's like having the guy's head. Why does he look no. like Stewie Griffin? Good call. Right? He yeah, looks like yeah. old Stewie Griffin and all those flash forwards they have of Stewie for, like when he's old. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's so much, you know, artistic dissonance between his style. It makes you think that there is another person drawing these. And if there is, they're just putting Nadell's name, you know, on everything. And it's so weird. Um, sorry, bear with us as we, like, find the specific thing that I'm talking about with this uh, Italian-American gentleman. Here we go. It's Mr. Stromboli. And um, here he is. He looks like Mario. He's got the black mustache and the brown hair and everything. He talks so like a this. It's written phonetically. Um, first off, Mr. Stromboli. It's like naming somebody Mr. Chowmain. Stromboli is food. There's a reason we're doing this. And I know we, we talk about this occasionally with uh, racist portrayals of Irish people, of African Americans. We did, we did a bit on this, specifically Matt did a bit on this, when we did the Mexican issues, uh, or the Mexican storyline in Wonder Woman. We liked pointing out bad portrayals that we need to remember that we grow from so that the comics can evolve and the medium itself can evolve into a more inclusive and less stereotypical, friendly uh, environment, or stereotype-friendly environment, sorry. Um... As an Italian-American, 
I'm not necessarily offended by this portrayal of an Italian-American because at the time period, 1940, you had a lot of Italian-American immigrants that fit this description. People who did not understand the language of English very well. Their accent was incredibly thick. That was how they talk. Italian is actually structured in a way grammatically that doesn't translate correctly to English. Um, you see this all the time in Spanish as well. It's just a fact. In the 40s, because my family came here in the 1920s, in the 40s, you'd still have some of those initial immigrants just starting to have children, so you're going to have a lot of those first-generation immigrants or fresh-off-the-boat immigrants um, living in America. So I imagine Bill Finger, even Marsden, and a couple others would be familiar with these people from different countries who are very different from what they are used to seeing and are trying to add color to their comics, not in the sense of skin color, but in the sense of metropolitan sort of metropolis melting pots of feels to their cities like Metropolis. Whatever city, fucking Sandman and Batman are in New York, New Jersey, it's not Gotham, we know that, um, DC and Capital City. They're trying to add a sense of sprawling cultural diversity by having these portrayals. I'm just really tired of seeing this stereotype because there hasn't been a lot in my mind of positive Italian-American portrayals in media. The most famous are going to be the Corleone family from The Godfather, The Sopranos, um, some of the Jersey Shore crew because they're Italian, and Arthur Fonzarelli from Happy Days, The Fonz. Um, the fact that you had the full name yeah. on command is actually fairly impressive. Because there aren't too many of us out there. Um, I don't watch mm. the show Rizzoli and Isles, but I guarantee Rizzoli's Italian. I just There's not a lot of very positive Italian-American portrayals in media. And people go, oh, what about Huntress in DC Comics? Here's the problem with Huntress. Helena Bartonelli, whom you may be familiar with her from the Arrow TV show. She's in that show. There's actually a cool version of her in there. Mm. There's also the Huntress comics that are out. where She had a run with Power Girl for a while. And then the New 52, she had her own really? book for a while. It was actually really cool. I actually really yeah. liked her run in New 52, um, where she like did Batman stuff in other countries and stuff. Like sex traffickers and things like that. And terrorists. It was cool. She, it's a good comic. Um, Helena suffers from the same problem that every Italian-American character suffers from. Um, she is othered in some way from everybody else, not because she's Italian, but because she's Italian. So the traditional way of othering an Italian-American character is to make them uh, the owner of an ethnically appropriate restaurant, an Italian restaurant, a pizza joint, something like that, um, in an organized crime family, someone who's skeevy or um, loud and overbearing. Um, or generally, if it's a cop, it's usually the cop who gets in trouble for going over the line. Cops who are angry, cops who get investigated by internal affairs a lot, detectives, similar to that. Helena, as the Huntress, is a comic book character, so they can't make her too othered. They can't do that overt to her. So what they do is they make her too violent. Helena is continually looked down upon by the superhero community because she kills. And it is not that she enjoys killing so much as that she's just like the Punisher, Frank Castle. Mm. Um, she thinks that killing is the way to get rid of these problems because clearly the things that Batman and Superman do don't solve them because these people keep coming back. It's a 
she works under a pulp uh, set of story tropes right. and some Helena would fit as in compared to a superhero set. Helena of would fit in tropes. much better in the Golden Age mm-hmm. with these characters than Wonder Woman would. Yeah, and that being said, that's kind of messed up because one, there's no reason why she can't be like every other hero. However, there is one reason why she can't. It's because of her background. Her background is such that she is the daughter of a notorious crime boss. Because if you're Italian, chances are you have connections to organized crime, right? So therein lies the problem with Italian-American stereotypes and portrayals is that they have to have something that others them from quote-unquote normal white folks. So Helena's thing that others her is being too violent and having a family entrenched in organized crime. Even in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, she is othered in a cartoon for children by being overly violent and rash and not playing by the book. Even Green Arrow, who is the I-don't-really-care-about-rules character, finds her to be a little too loose cannon. There's no need for her to be like that in a children's TV show that doesn't serve any purpose other than to continue othering her for whatever reason. There's no need for the Huntress to be different. Um, Her her brand has become the othered. Right. Her brand has become the one bird of prey who's cool with killing. And the only way to to explain her, her comfort with violence is her past of having family related to organized crime. And that bothers me a lot because she's not good for the sake of being good. She's good for the sake of rebelling against her family who were bad. Mm -hmm. And I just wish we had Italian-American characters who were portrayed well to give people who are of Italian-American descent just ways to also acknowledge and be a part of this escapism that we have. Like, we also see other characters who are very much like this being other than similar ways. Katana is also more violent than other characters, and it's explained away by her culture. Like, her culture is so bizarre that that's an excuse for her to be more violent. It doesn't make any sense. It's just an excuse to have a Japanese character killing people with a samurai sword. And it's a very subtle form of racism, specifically to people who are white passing. I am white passing. I am technically white. I'm Italian, German, Hungarian. You would look at me and you'd think that person is, you know, Caucasian. Italians, when they came over to America, were not perceived that way. They were brown. And there is still a weird othering of Italian Americans, be it by culture or religion, in this country, and it just kind of bothers me. It's not nearly, of course, as bad as the systemic racism of African Americans in this nation. It's not any different than the systemic and subtle racism of the Chinese Americans that came over to America for a better life, or the Irish Americans who had it just as bad when they came over in the 1800s and the 1910s. I'm not saying Italian Americans have had it worse and oh, poor me, poor me. I am saying that As a person who has a platform to speak for a group that doesn't get to speak about this very often, I would like to point this out to everyone so that they can be a little bit more aware of it. Because we also get hurt by it. I think that's pretty well thought out. Better than what I talked with you about the other night. Um, 
but it's I think that accurately summarizes everything. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and that's it for me. That's that's really my my big um, deal here. Um, I think I'm good. Do you have you have notes? Because I have notes. You have notes. I have notes. Okay, so this is the other part of the format: is that I get shorter summary times, so we can get into the meat of Matt's research. All right, so I'm gonna pick and choose the things that I'm most interested in. Remember, we have uh, questions after. Right, we do have questions. First off, evidence suppression. Mm. We've seen a lot of uh, situations, which is not what you think. Uh, we've seen a lot of situations where the superhero compels the villain to confess under duress. In the U.S., the rule that determines whether that confession is admissible in court as evidence <laughs> is called the exclusionary rule. Yeah. If I'm understanding this correctly, any confession gained by a superhero as a private citizen would be admissible. Yeah. But an officer of the law getting the same confession under duress would make it inadmissible as it would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment because the Fourth Amendment only protects against government actors, not other private citizens. So when Batman holds a guy out over the window, because he's not actually Commissioner Gordon, it's totally okay for that evidence to be used to actually charge the guy. Check out the big brain on Brad. It's <laughs> cool. No, so, so this brings, However, yeah. most other nations are much less likely to rule evidence and admissible it's really just the U.S. that says if something is acquired illegally, you just can't use it hmm. uh, as long as it was an officer of the law acquiring it. So this brings up the question in the in Batman the sixty six series with Adam West. Mm. Um, Ooh, they're deputies. Oh, if they if they're actually part of the chain, I'm of pretty command. sure they're deputies yeah. for Gotham City. Well, which in, means in, a in lot 66, of sixty six. They probably didn't actually do much. That uh, well, yeah, that it's would have can't be Batman illegally. It can't be Batman, but that's an interesting thing to think about. Is that he's a deputy at that point? Like that's some <laughs> illegal stuff going and on there. God, the JLA probably can't. Oh, no, actually, they're not. Like, the, uh, just, just, just make it, Aquaman uh, do it. JLA Black, JLA Elite, JLA Elite. Their uh, Black Ops that. team that ran for like two volumes. Hmm. Uh, which was actually really cool because the Flash was part of both teams. Of course he would be. You know what it was? It was what uh, what the team was in Young Justice. Oh, the hey, these are the God, these are people who show. go in for covert stuff. That's such a good show. It was so good, Ugh. and it actually had Verilyn on it. Huh. Uh, in Justice Society Elite, uh, the sister of Manchester Black. Oh. She was cool. Cool. And it actually had the. Does anybody here remember Vera Lynn moment where Winchester Black is just playing golf in the middle of a vacant uh, cosmoscape? Good. He's just like, yes. Of course he is. Yes, I approve of this. Um, Let's see, what else? So, sometimes when I'm researching a panel or a weird bit, I go down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Uh, This is specifically from the story of the masquerading mayor from Green Lantern. I'm just going to present this without context as an example of how far... This is the into- horse story. Yep. <laughs> For those of you who aren't seeing the titles like we do. Yeah. Uh, this is just a no-context example of some of the stuff I learn when I just go on Wikipedia tangent, 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 tangents when I'm Mandelbrot in Wikipedia. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that Bonnie Parker of Bonnie and Clyde used a Browning automatic rifle. Was there no context? Was there con- no context? Was there concern that she ever did? Uh, th- there have actually been some people who are like, "Yeah, no, she totally did, just like Clyde." 
and it does not seem likely. I've seen some I've sources heard... that say that she weighed 90 pounds, thought... in which case automatic rifles are not going to go so well for you. I always thought she you or they used Tommy guns. Uh, not exclusively. Okay, apparently. well that shows you what I know. Uh, I think that is the standard, but they were arrested in possession of... Or they were taken... Their car contained uh, some Browning automatic rifles. I want to say three. Okay. One random bit of... That bugged me. There was a point where he actually secreted away some people who were going to be killed. <laughs> yeah. And he puts them in the like whole, a like, weird cell that he's just got somewhere. And, That's so, yeah. and they show up at the end. It's like, okay, I'm going to... Boy, it sure would be great if these ghosts would confront you for your crimes. It's like, oh, here they walk in. <clears throat> Ain't that great. That story would have been so much cooler if he had used the ring to actually like summon the spirits of the dead. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's all magic. Of, there's, there's a lot of moments where he confronts people and you're like, just get the information from their mind. He's like, I'll yep. come back and I'll make you confess. It's like, just pull it out of their head. You've done it before. Yep. Like, just do it, Yeah, man. for the record, he is a, uh, well, a telepath, but there's got to be a term for being able to drag thoughts out of something. I just also want you to want to pull attention to this. This is in one of the issues... In the second volume, Green uh, Doiby goes to see a dentist called I Pullum. God damn it! And the horse race that the horse uh, Jersey Queen is uh, uh, entered in is the Melbont race, not the Belmont race. Oh, I didn't. I didn't catch Bill that. Finger <laughs> likes his little likes his little plays on words. Uh, one last bit that I want to go through. Um, this one's kind of interesting. So we mentioned that or you mentioned during your plot summary one of the stories being uh nazis in south america yes specifically trying to flip a nation uh yes uh sponsoring a fascist group in uh we got uh, a civil war we got another fake country yeah but this one actually was populated by hispanic looking yes folks, we got to we got to really hooray. we have to make like an atlas for <laughs> For DC we, Comics just, of all the fake countries that have ever shown up, I need to find a and like where uh, we per, maker. and where we perceive them to exist <laughs> based off of the story as well as the writer. I need to find a map maker so that someone will actually make my D and D world. It's just you know, it's it's uh, theoretical cartography is really what it is. I like that term for it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a good opportunity to remember that World War II wasn't just fought by three allies and three Axis powers. Large chunks of the war were fought by nominally independent countries, even those controlled by one of the colonial powers, like Iraq. Iraq was a British, I believe, protectorate. Uh, or if nothing else, it uh, the Kingdom of Iraq was British-dominated and actually did flip uh, fascist for a little bit before uh, that got put down. Yeah. Uh, but if one of the main belligerents could flip one of the smaller countries, that was a huge win. Uh, not always because their fighting forces were great. Finland's were. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other places weren't. Uh, but also for the natural resources. For instance, uh, Romania mm. was the oil fields yeah. of Central Europe. Yeah. Uh, and it could also take away the advantages of the enemy. For instance, when the USSR was rolling over Eastern Europe as they closed towards Berlin, nations surrendered, flipped to the Allied side all the time. Then that army goes from being a group that you're going to have to occupy against to, okay, here are some allies. So it's important to remember that the ability to try to sway or conquer or otherwise flip 
uh, nations to your side was hugely important during World War II. Uh, for instance, the, the entire British defense of Greece was exactly that. Yeah. Uh, so, always worth remembering that the war wasn't just six powers going at it. Well, seven if you count France for... Well, it's actually worthwhile to count France. So, yeah. we'll do that. Yeah. We'll say seven. Well, because you, the French resistance was huge. They fought. They yep. fought an entire front on their own, and just their own cities. They had a lot of urban warfare. Yep. And actually, France is a perfect example of a nation that it was hugely important that the Allies kept on their side. Yep. Uh, politics mattered. Uh, God, the Dan Carlin has a line that I loved. Uh, we tend to think in the West of politics as kind of soft, as conciliatory, at diplomacy as softness. But diplomacy is a sword yeah. when used right. Mm-hmm. And the more nations that could be turned one way or another, the stronger your side was. Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. Listen to it. Listen to it now. Yeah. Listen to it for the next 25-odd hours because it's probably... Well, actually, he's probably got like 30 hours, maybe 35 hours of free content available mm. right now. Something like that. Highly recommended. And he does uh, Ghosts of the Ost Front is his arc on the Eastern Front in World War II. And it is a very well re- well-researched, well-written, well-presented. Uh, and before we go into questions, I want to make a point here. Green Lantern is everything Superman should be. I will agree with that. At this point, Green Lantern is smart, charismatic, put together has a girl, and is good at what he does. And what he does is always good. There is no moral ambiguity about how he goes about it. I mean, some of the stuff that he does is like, eh, but he's he, always he doing... follows the rules of pulp heroes where the bad guy right. confesses and dies. Right, as opposed to Superman who's like, well, I can show you I'm stronger, kicks the circus owner's cart. Like, Green Lantern yeah. would never do something like that. Green Lantern is very much a guy who wants to be good and live in peace and wants to protect everyone. Whereas Superman is righteous indignation. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good way of summing him up. He's angry impotence with power. Yeah. Yeah. Superman is the guy on the couch who hates everything, who suddenly gets superpowers and just does all the shit that he wants to do and fixes it the way he wants to fix it. Alan Scott plays by the rules he may be a little fast and loose but he's always a good guy he's a good superhero i'll agree with that yeah so i just thought that was an interesting thought to end on for now with green lantern is that that's kind of the feel we get from him so questions i have a question that uh, i got uh today that i think is going to be a fun one to start with what type of lantern do we think each other are? And I've figured out what you are. Um, in a, and it's, it's good. Um, you are an indigo. You're a member of the indigo tribe. Um, because their powers derive from compassion mm-hmm. and understanding. Uh, mind you, most of the members of the indigo tribe are all reformed felons that Abadzor has, you know, mm-hmm. forced to be members of the indigo tribe. Um, but... The Atom is a member of the Indigo tribe. Uh, Ray Palmer. Uh, when the War of the Light occurs, he gets an Indigo yeah, Ray. That makes sense. Um, so, I, I think that your 
your amount of uh, attunement to other people and like world events and just your um, the how much you care about things and other people and doing right by other people that's what's important to you is being a good person and being good to other people so that everyone else can can be good that is very compassionate of you and I think you're you're an indigo lantern thank you yeah I mean it's I need to read more about them but like they went into it during the new 52 Green Lantern storyline and explained where the Indigo tribe came from and I think that was the whole storyline was they're just all reformed criminals that have in sword just put on a planet and said you're good now and <laughs> their compassion for all their wrongdoings turned them into the Indigo tribe fair enough yeah. alright I'm gonna cheat okay whatever that ring is that the Flash has his costume in Ooh. I don't think of you as being defined by a specific emotion necessarily. So so the Flash's compression ring? Yes. Which is, the Flash in the comics, as well as Green Arrow occasionally, depending on who's writing him, um, he was given one, I think, by the Flash, um, has a ring that has his entire costume compressed in it with, um, I forget the name of the molecule, um, and when he opens it, when it reacts to air, it becomes the correct size that he can put it on. That's actually very interesting. That's a yeah, because I I don't see you as being defined by a single emotion, but I do see you as combining thinking about things and acting on them. That's a little bit more than a Green Lantern. Yeah, admittedly, I mean, I mean, John Stewart is a bit more of a cerebral Green Lantern. You get some of those mm-hmm. guys like Slack and guys like that, but but I don't necessarily think of well. I guess I could see him like sitting down and thinking about a problem for a couple of days, like me- measuring it from a couple of different angles before deciding on something. Yeah, they're less like but, Jedi yeah. though, because Jedi would do that. Jedi would like sit and deliberate for a while before doing something. And the Green Lanterns are like, we got to do it because we're cops, and they're a little we bit are more defined by willpower. Yeah, that's the will to do a thing. The will to do a thing. Um, mm. eh, okay, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good deep cut. Thank you. I do it again. Um, your favorite female character at the moment. Or, or of DC. Mine is... I'll make this easy for y'all. Go first. Frankly, I really like um, Zatanna. Um, I like her concept a lot. I like that she is a lot of power in a small package. People kind of overlook her. She's incredibly powerful and she's fun. She's quirky. She she likes her magician side job. She mm. She is fun. She's a fun character who has fun with what she does and is taken incredibly seriously by the rest of the League. As a major player, she may not be on the same level as the Phantom Stranger or Doctor Fate or the Spectre, but she is like your first call when you know magical shit goes down. Um, and I just like that she she always looks like she's smiling. She's always mm-hmm. not bummed out by whatever is going on. She's a fun character, and um, I just like her a lot. She just every time I see her, I'm like, yeah, Zatanna. Like it's just like it's a good feeling whenever I see her. I was like, oh, good, you need it's a Zatanna episode. Yeah, it's just like you need you need some screen time. You're a good character. You're very overlooked, and I think I think there's a lot to be said about characters who are underused, who are just written well, no matter who writes them, because they are just such a well formed character that it's hard to write them poorly. It's hard to screw up Zatanna. Because it's just, she's pretty much what you see. A magician who actually can do magic, who speaks backwards and is really cool. It's hard to screw that up. If you do, you're trying too hard, really, I think. I I think that's exactly it. Like, she is a fun, relatively simple character in most of her It's such a superhero comic convention. Like, it's just so comic book that if you're making her dark or if you're making her too serious, you're just like, you're missing the point, man. 
Mm-hmm. Like even in Identity Crisis, she's not the darkest part of that, but she's integral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to that role in that story. So I'm going to go... It's really tempting to say Barbara Gordon. And I'll put her at second. But yeah. I'm actually going to say Renee Montoya. Oh, oh, Renee. I like Renee. Renee's just awesome. First off, like... Pre-question or, or, I or would, question I would, run? Uh, I haven't read any of the question run, but certainly up through 52 where she takes on the mantle of That's the a, question. That is a really well-written gay character for those of you who mm-hmm. are looking for representation. That is a woman of color who is a lesbian who is an incredibly good detective a good cop and subsequently becomes the new question when Vic Sage trains her to become the question and she has a relationship with Batwoman mm-hmm. um, great character really good character really cool in her own right she's got the uh, loose cannon cop motif for a woman which you don't which, see a which lot which is of. also entertaining because she's next to Harvey Bullock, Bullock yeah, who is who's even a, more who is just like just north of corrupt in the worst way, where he's just like, I will literally do anything to catch Batman, but I'm a good cop. And you're like, boy, there is a fine line, and you ride that on a tricycle. Like, you know, it's, like, it's just like right over both. And um, Renee is a great character. She's, oh, yeah. she's very strong. She's very smart. Always portrayed well. I've never seen a bad version of her. Yeah, she's like, in the, she's in the Batman the animated series cartoon yeah, as well. That's I think that's where she got her start. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, good character mm-hmm. for those of you looking for different characters and characters of representation. Renee mm-hmm. Montoya, yeah, great character. Specifically, check out the uh, God. What's uh, God, what's it called? The precinct. Uh, oh, Gotham, Gotham PD, GCPD. Gotham, yeah, uh, that that series. Uh, is speci- there's a specific arc where she is outed and it is extremely well written and cool. fascinating. I'll have to read I that. Think that. I think they actually got some serious awards too. too. Yeah, um, good character. Really, that's a good. That's a good pick. Um, I do what I can. Uh, I have one and a half, uh, and both of these are probably going to end up being kind of quick. Uh, any new titles coming out next year that you guys are extra excited about? Um, I mean, really, I want to fo- start focusing on a lot of the the rebirth stuff at this point so that we can start making a lot of contemporary connections for the listeners as it stands i'm not as aware of what's happening in both the big two Mm -hmm. um i'm more focused on kind of the things that i've like set my sights on for the holidays as like potential gifts to myself um more goon more atomic robo uh more hellboy uh, I'm going. I'm going back. I'm going old school with some of my my picks. Uh, definitely. I mean, I'm willing to give X Men a shot. All the new titles. I'm mm-hmm. not so hot. I X Men and I have a have a really weird relationship. Um, and they Cyclops. <laughs> Cyclops was right. Magneto made valid points. Um, oh, you know, I'm I'm always willing to read more Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, um, specifically Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. Mm. Um, I, I want to read the new Green Lantern stuff. I want to find out about those two new characters, see what they're all about. People seem to like them. Like, I haven't heard any backlash yes. about them, which is which tells you that people like them. Mm. No one is yelling about a Muslim man and a Hispanic woman as... Justice Leaguers and that tells you that at least they're written well enough that no one hates them and is like it's backfiring on DC 
Like, I'm very interested in seeing how they're portrayed and what their entire Green Lantern story is like. I, I kind of want to dig into that. Nice. And Wonder Woman. I hear Wonder Woman's really good uh, mm. right now. Uh, for me, like, we both mentioned that uh, reading for this and taking notes and recording <laughs> and doing visual aids. We have two volumes to do before the next episode. Oh, God. That's 400 pages. But it doesn't leave a lot of time for us to read other stuff. Uh, particularly, most of my reading time is walking to and from work. Uh, I have an hour and a half commute. It turns out it's difficult to read uh, comics while walking. But you also but, fit in a lot of other stuff that you like reading. Like I'm still trying to read The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore. Mm. Great book. Um, really full of a lot of uh, interesting stuff. I mean, they're making the friggin' biopic of Marsden now as a film. They're doing huh. that. Cool. Um, and it's it's Marsden and his Wonder Women, I think. And I'm just like, I I oh, I love too. It's too good. It's too on the nose. Um, I the story is incredibly fascinating. If you're really interested in a weird sort of inside baseball, weirdly sorted, strange story about the creator of Wonder Woman, Jill Lepore's book is in, is incredibly insightful. It's making me hate this guy. <laughs> I love everyone in the book but him. I'm kind of interested in uh, the one that sort of stood out was uh, Generation X. Oh, okay. Just like the idea of Jubilee. Who yeah, I former, saw that. Former mutant, current vampire, oh, and God. mother. She's still a vampire? Apparently. I don't know. Go Jubilee. <laughs> but being the den mom for a bunch of misfit X-Men, kind of. Is she just doing the Wolverine thing? How awesome would it be if the circle, circle were now complete? Actually, so she's... Is that the, what she's doing? She's the dead mom for that team, and then uh, uh, Kitty Pride oh. is de- is the team leader for uh, can we, Team Gold or Team Blue. It's can like, we awesome. not have the two chicks who have weird, like, male authority figure crushes on Wolverine becoming Wolverine? I don't know. I'm fine with them becoming Wolverine. Like, like I just... It's weird to me that that's what's happening. It's like, I was kind of into you because you're like a weird sort of hot dad figure. And then I realized you're just a basket of bad decisions. And then I grew up and figured out I, things. I actually don't know if it's ever canonical that either of them depends were attracted on which, to... It depends okay, on which yeah, medium you're watching. If it's the 90s cartoon, it's Jubilee. If it's X-Men Evolution and any of the films, it's Rogue or Kitty Pride. It's any young girl on the team... Of whatever medium you were watching, minus the X-Men TV show where Wolverine was Australian, <laughs> um, the the chick, the young girl, the, 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 the millennial character fell sort of kind of for either Gambit or Wolverine. And Nightcrawler kind of hits on them. It's weird. Oh, he does that. Yeah, it was Nightcrawler. If it was a lamp with legs, he'd do it. <laughs> No, that's 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 Gambit. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm no, sorry, no, Kurt. No. You have standards. Kurt would romance it. He wouldn't go any further. Kurt would waltz with the lamp and yes. pretend it was a, a wench from one of his pirate movies. But that would be it. He'd put like he'd do it with a mop, like because it looks it would look like hair, and he'd like do the whole like stroking the girl. Oh god, poor Kurt. We just write up a really short Sunday comic of Kurt Wagner like dan- waltzing with a mop. Kurt Wagner dances with cleaning. Dances with mops. <laughs> you're okay, welcome. you're welcome. You're welcome, James Cameron. That's your new Avatar title. I was going to say that's the, that's the subtitle for this episode. Oh, dances with mops. Yeah, done. You got it. 
So, next episode, The Flash. Do you have Flash questions about the Speed Force, about the characters in general, who the Flash is? Why are there so many? How come they all are different ages? Why is Bart Allen 12 and then suddenly 25? Which ones are dead? Who's dead and who's not? Um, What's up with Wally's kids? Um, Sad. Um, Who are the other speedsters? Who's Max Mercury or Liberty Bell or Jesse Quick and Johnny Quick? Who are all those people? We well, can... presumably Jesse Quick and Johnny Quick are brothers. I think they're brothers. I, th- I think so. I think someone's Max Mercury's daughter. I, I gotta remember. The speedster family's weird. <laughs> um, why is everybody immortal? All these questions and more we can answer for you, should you want us to answer them. Will we be answering, answering them in the form of flashbacks? <laughs> Obviously. Flashback. <laughs> um, I could do that if you really wanted me to do it. I can make them as little, little you know, posted cards or flashcards. Uh, I just want flashcards. I hate Get it. it. No, that's the end of the episode. That's the end of the episode. We're done. We're done here. That was beautiful and perfect. Oh, we're I done win. here now. All right. Uh, uh, tune in next week. Next week. Uh, send us some questions. We are back. Uh, DCDetectivesPodcast.com. Contact us. Uh, your Facebook page at DC Detectives Podcast and Twitter, DCD Podcast. We will see you next time or not. We'll talk to you. Here's the noir. <laughs> DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and our website, dcdetectivespodcast.com, for updates and more visual aids. After the events in Sargasso, John and I headed back to Capital City with Doivy and GL. The trip gave us time to talk, especially about what kind of hero he was. GL was probably the best we'd seen from this era, a stand-up hero without becoming a sappy do-right, but always stuck in the shadow of the Man of Steel. We bid farewell to our new friends. To catch up to our next case, we'd need to run like lightning. <laughs>